please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Not Acts, sorry. We've, we've been preaching Acts at my church. Uh, Revelation 3. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. And while you find it, let me just tell you, this message to the church in Sardis is different from the messages uh, from the previous ones to the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. Uh, this one in Sardis is actually a little more grim. <laughs> and one of the things that I learned or that I've learned um, about preaching is that when you are looking at a passage, when you are preaching a passage from Scripture, you want to make sure that you're preaching uh, with the tone of the passage. And so this is a grim passage. This is a, a uh, strong, sober word from Jesus to the church of Sardis. And so I want that to be my tone. And this makes it a little bit difficult for me in one sense, but in another, it, it makes it easy because I'm just here as a guest speaker. I don't have the, the credentials to know where this church stands. I know several of you. I know that several of you are faithful, um, but I don't know you as a church all that well. And so while I don't have the credentials to come give you this message, at the same time, I'm bringing this message from the one who does have all the credentials. I'm bringing this message from Jesus, the one that holds the seven stars in his right hand and the lampstands and the one who has the seven spirits, the one that is speaking uh, prophetically with the spirit of God. And so, again, I might not know every one of you perfectly. I don't know how much of this message applies to every single one of you, but I do know that I'm bringing a message from Jesus, the Lord of the church. And so, while this message is a general message to the entire church of Sardis, it is also a specific message to the individuals that make up the church of Sardis. And so uh, what I want us to do today is I want us to listen to this message uh, corporately as, as a church, as Staten Drive Bible Chapel, but also I want, us, uh, I want us to listen to this message individually. I want us to listen to this message as Jesus speaking individually to each one of us. Because as we're going to see in this message, there are some people, the majority of the people in the church of Sardis are as good as dead, but then there are a few people in the church that are still remaining faithful. And so I want to bring this message with this sober kind of um, tone that we see here. And again, I'm not the one who has the right credentials. Jesus is the one with the credentials bringing this message. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 6 of Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. 
Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this message that you have for us today. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We worship your son. We acknowledge that he is the one who has the seven spirits, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Lord, I pray that you give us humility to listen to this message. I pray that you would remove any um, defensiveness, any denial to hear this message. May your spirit work in all of us. May your spirit bring life in those that are as good as dead. May your spirit bring repentance, obedience, remembrance. And may your spirit remind us of the beauty of your gospel, that you are the one who is worthy. I pray that you give me the words to speak today, Lord, and that you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit says to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was looking into this passage, one of the one analogy that kept coming back to me is like a doctor's visit. So when you go to the doctor, you often don't know exactly what's going on with you. Maybe you feel some, uh, um, you know, maybe what is more popular today, like maybe you feel some trouble breathing and, and maybe a cough or something, but you don't, you don't really know what is going on. It is not until you go to the doctor who has the right credentials and the right tools that you get examined by the doctor and the doctor tells you a diagnosis, right? The doctor says, this is what is wrong with you and this is what needs to happen. This is your prescription. This is what you have to do in order to solve your problem. And this is what will happen if you follow with the prescription. This is what will happen if you don't. And so basically, even though the analogy is not perfect, this is basically the outline of the passage. Jesus is the doctor with the credentials, the one who is speaking prophetically from the seven spirits of God, the one who is speaking with authority, who holds the, the seven stars, which are the messengers of the churches, which by extension are the churches. Jesus, the Lord of the church, is the one with the right credentials speaking, giving his diagnosis to the church in Sardis. And so he is telling them what is wrong with them, and he is telling them the prescription. This is what you need to do. This is what needs to happen. And then he tells them the consequences. If you do not do these things, this is what will happen. But if you do these things, this is what will happen. So he gives them both the negative and the positive outcome. And so 
Let us just think for a moment about Jesus' credentials. The words of him, verse 1, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I'm sure you have already spoke, uh, you've already studied what the seven spirits of God are, but just as a summary, uh, it is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, speaking in a multifold, multifold form. It's kind of like the concept of Isaiah 11 when it's talking about the, uh, the, stu- the, um, the shoot from the stump of Jesse and how it talks that he will receive the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So it's kind of like that multifaceted form of the Holy Spirit. And so it is the Holy Spirit that is speaking to these seven churches. And now if you, if you have noticed, even though the message for each church is individually for that church, at the same time, the letter is being sent to the, to the seven churches. And so the others are listening to the messages that are written for the other churches, and they should be learning from that message as well. And so we're talking about Jesus, the one who has the Spirit, the one who sends the Spirit, the one who speaks with, with God's authority, with the Spirit's authority. And we know that the Spirit, one of the things that it does is it speaks prophetically. And one of the things that he does is he quickens the dead. He brings life to the dead. And this is especially important here that we're talking about a church that is as good as dead. And so he is the one speaking from the Spirit, and he is also the one with full authority over the messengers of the churches and over the churches. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He is the one that gave his life for the church. And then remember that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and gave him as, as the head of the church. So Jesus is the head of the church And when Jesus, the head of the church, is speaking to the church, we better listen. There are a lot of people today, there are a lot of critics today, a lot of Christian gurus today that would tell you what is wrong with the church and what the church needs to do. And they might have some really clever ideas and they might have some um, um, things to say that the church should do. But the one that we need to listen to is Jesus, the Lord of the church. And so let me tell you, I know that there are a lot of issues in our country today. I know that there are a lot of issues with the church today in our country. If you want to tackle these issues, I think that you guys are doing the best possible thing. You're going through the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. This is way, way more applicable to the church in America today than anything else that you'll read on social media from a Christian guru. So we're doing the right thing. We're coming to the head of the church and we are hearing his warning. And so let us pay attention to it. I know your works. That's the first thing that Jesus tells to the church in Sardis. I know your works. Well, so far, this has been more or less good news for the other churches, right? He tells uh, to the other churches, I... I know your works well to the Ephesians, right? I know your toil and your patient endurance. To Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. So he, he acknowledges that they're suffering for his sake. To Pergamum, I know where you dwell, right? He's again acknowledging that they are being faithful to them. 
to the church of Thyatira. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. So he has really good things to say to the previous churches, but not so with Sardis. He says, I know your works. And that's a frightful thought for Sardis. Because they have a reputation of being alive. The other churches, the, the people around them, when they look at this church, they say, oh, look at this lively church. Look at how good they are doing. Look at how many people they have. Look at all the programs that they have. They have a reputation of being alive. But Jesus says, nope, I know your works. And I know that even though you have a reputation of being alive, you are dead. And Jesus knows their works because Jesus doesn't judge in the same way that man does. Jesus doesn't look at the outside appearance, right? Remember when Samuel went to appoint David? He thought that all of his brothers were the ones except for David. But God reminded him, I don't look at the appearances. I look at the heart. He reminds, uh, he reminds the church, the church of Tyatira, I am the one who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus is the one that knows our works and this matters. So this is the diagnosis for the church. After Jesus has examined them, he says to them, you are dead. You are as good as dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So they do have some works. Again, they do have some things that they do. In fact, they, they probably do a lot. They're probably a very busy church because, again, they have a good reputation. But the problem is that their works are not complete in the sight of God. Their problem is that the works that they are doing, they are doing them with the wrong motivation. Perhaps they're doing, it, they're doing them to keep their reputation as an, as a, as an alive church. Perhaps they're doing them in, in just self-deceit, just, you know, thinking, hey, this is what we've been doing. We better continue doing it. I don't know what their motivation for, for performing these works is, but the point is that Jesus has examined their works and they're not complete. Like when you go to the doctor and you get a, an x-ray and they say, hey, your lungs are severely damaged. You might, you might feel okay right now, but the x-ray is showing that your lungs are damaged. So in the same sense, Jesus tells them, you have a good reputation. You might feel good right now, but your works are not complete. So what about you? What about you, Titan Drive? What about you, individual uh, 
attendee of Titan Drive, what about us? When Jesus looks at our works, does he say, yes, these are good works. These works will stand the test of fire. Or does he say, no, these works are not good enough. The motivation of these works is not good enough. Um, the, the, they are just performing these works in order to keep a reputation. They're just performing these works because they feel good. They feel like they're, they're doing their part. What about your works? Will they stand? And notice the importance that Jesus places on works in these passages, right? We have been trained over and over to say, oh yeah, we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, not by works. Yes, amen to that. But the fact that we're not saved by works, it doesn't mean that works are irrelevant or unimportant. The basis on which Jesus is judging these churches is the basis of their works. And so he tells them, your works are not good enough. They're not complete. Remember what he told the Pharisees in Luke Luke 16. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before man, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the results have come out. The x-ray is ready, and Jesus, the doctor, says, something has to change. Here is your diagnosis. The church is as good as dead. Something has to change. This is what you have to do. And so in verse 3, he gives them the prescription. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember keep it, obey, and repent. This is the prescription for the church. This is the prescription for Christian life. Remember, obey, and repent. It's, it's, it's a cycle, right? When you remember, you remember what you have received, what you have heard. You remember the gospel. The first thing you heard, the first thing that brought you to faith in Christ, the gospel of Jesus, you have to come back and remember it. I've said it before in this church, we never graduate from the gospel. We have to continue to go back to the message of grace. That we were sinners and yet Christ died for us. That he gave his life for us. That he gave his blood for us. And so when we are not doing well spiritually, the first thing that we need to do is go back and remember the gospel. Remember that Jesus is the lamb that was slain for us. That shed his blood for us. To redeem us for God. That's the first thing that we need to remember. We need to remember what we have heard, what we have learned. We need to remember the apostolic teaching that we have received. We need to remember the things that we've learned from the word of God. And again, I make this point once again. Today, the temptation is to go look outside. It's to go look to the solutions of the world. Today, we have a lot of pressure from the world that is telling us, that sounds very, very pious, very godly, saying this is what you have to do. If you want to improve your church life, this is what you have to do. If you want to improve your spirituality, this is what you have to do. But let me tell you, the best thing you can do 
to recover from spiritual death is to come to the word of God. It's to come back to the word of God. To remember the message of the gospel, to remember the message of grace, to remember the apostolic teaching. That is the best thing that we can do to revitalize a church. Our problems as a church, our problems as, as Christians will not be resolved if we get the right candidate in office. Our problems will not be resolved if we make, the right, if, if we make it so that our country makes the right policies. Our problems won't be resolved if we go full-on uh, uh, nationalistic. They won't be resolved if we go woke as a church. Our problems, our spiritual problems, our spiritual death will be resolved if we come back to the Word of God. So they have to remember. They have to keep it, to obey. What's the point of, of hearing but not doing Right? Remember the words of Jesus. Don't be, don't be like the foolish person that built his house on the sand. If you listen, if you remember the gospel, if you, re, if, you, if you hear the words of Jesus speaking to you and you do not do anything about them, you do not do the works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them, then what's the point of going back and remembering all of these things? So we have to, li- we have to remember And we have to obey, and then we have to repent. So when we come back to the gospel, when we come back to the word of God, when we come back to the teaching of the apostles, this should bring us to obedience, but this should also bring us to repentance. If you're reading your Bible every day, and all you feel is a pat in the back, because of how well you're doing, there's a chance you're reading it wrong. There's a chance you have too high of a view of yourself. The word of God, yes, it should be encouraging. It should be nurturing. The, the gospel message is the, the message of our salvation. But it's also a message that shows us the holiness of God. And it's also a message that tells us to walk in a manner that is worthy of God and of his gospel. And so when we come to the word, we should be brought to obedience and we should be brought to repentance for the areas in which we are failing. When we read the word of God, it should challenge us to obedience. It should challenge us and it should convict us of our sin. And that is the Christian life. It's a cycle of faith, obedience, and repentance. Over and over and over. Every day we trust in Jesus. We trust in his gospel. We obey his gospel. We obey his word. We repent when we sin. And we trust him again. So this is the prescription for the church in Sardis. This is the prescription for us as well. Now what is the outcome? The outcome. Number one, he tells them what is going to happen if they don't obey. If they don't wake up. If they don't heed his words. And in this case, the analogy uh, breaks apart because Jesus is no longer the doctor, but he's now acting more as the, the, the punishment, the consequences of what will happen, right? He says, verse 3, 
Remember then what you received and heard and keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. If this church, if the church of Sardis does not repent, if the people, if the unfaithful people in the church of Sardis do not remember, do not go back and obey, do not repent, do not wake up, then Jesus will come upon them in judgment like a thief. Now, let me make a, a, an important point here. When we think of the analogy of Jesus coming like a thief, our minds immediately go to the last day. Right? Well, we know that Jesus is going to come like a thief and no one knows the hour, not even the Father. So we need to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. I would say to that, yes, amen, we need to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. And yes, if this church does not repent, or you know, at the time that it was written, if the church of Sardis didn't repent, for sure they would experience judgment at the judgment day, at the last day. But at the same time, this had to be written in a way that it would have an immediate, applica immediate application for these churches. Look at the other passages. The, the warning for the, for the other churches are immediately applicable. Right? If you do not repent, to Ephesus he says, If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand. To the church of Pergamum he says, If you do not repent, I will come and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So these are, these are applications for them that they would live within their lifetime or maybe a next generation, but these were things that were applicable to them. Now, why am I making this point? The reason I'm making this point is because sometimes our understanding of the end times, our eschatology, the way that we view the day of the Lord, we, be, we view it as something so absent that we get complacent. And we say, oh, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. And when he comes back, I'm, I'm not going to be here anyways. So I'm good to go. But we need to remember that the day of the Lord, yes, there will be an ultimate day of the Lord, day of judgment. But at the same time, we need to remember that the day of the Lord is a day of reckoning. It's a day in which Jesus, the Lord, comes in judgment of the evil one and comes in rescue of the righteous one. And this is something that has happened throughout history. When Jesus delivered his people from Egypt, that was the day of the Lord, where God came in judgment against the Egyptians and in deliverance of his people. When Jesus promised to come in the day of the Lord against the Babylonians, that was the day of the Lord, where Jesus judged his enemies. When Jesus prophesied against Jerusalem, and later on Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. That was the day of the Lord when Jesus came in judgment against his enemies and deliverance of his people. So who are we to say, oh yeah, the day of the Lord is just going to be a future event and I'm not going to be here. No, no, no. This is a warning for all of us. Jesus, as the Lord of the church, has the power and the authority to come in judgment against his enemies. So let us not be like that complacent, wicked servant that Jesus speaks about. And he says, my ma the, this servant says, my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. 
the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus, the Lord of the church, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, will judge those who do not repent. Jesus, the Lord of the church, will cleanse his church from defilement. And so let us not, let us not get complacent like the church of Sardis. One interesting thing about the church of Sardis is I was looking into the background. The city of Sardis had a, had a historical background where they were pretty much, uh, they, were, they were known as this impregnable uh, city. Like no enemy could come and conquer this city because they were located on a plateau and there were uh, a lot of cliffs around them and there was really just one small entrance into the city. And so they knew if we want to protect this city, all we have to do is put all our troops on that little entrance since everything, you know, we're surrounded by cliffs and mountains and, and we're protected from that. Well, even though this, church, this uh, city was historically known as impregnable, it was actually conquered several times. And you know why it was conquered? Because they got complacent. Because they thought, oh, we just put all our defenses here in the front but guess what? The people that conquered them, they send their armies to climb those mountains and attack them from the places that they were not expecting. In fact, in one of their defeats, I can't remember which one it was, the king was so, um, so sure about how easy it was to defend the church that even in the midst of the attack, it was nighttime and he went to sleep only to wake up the next day to find out that the city had been taken. And so I think that's a perfect analogy for this church. This is a church that is complacent. This is a church that says, oh yeah, we have enough good works to keep a good reputation. We have enough programs to look like we're alive, to look like we're doing something. And so they bank all of their hopes in that little valley. But they, they don't realize that Jesus was going to come upon them like a thief. They didn't realize that if they didn't wake up, if they didn't uh, uh, become sober-minded, if they didn't become watchful, if they didn't repent, Jesus was going to come upon them like a thief in judgment. So that's the bad news. That's the, that's the negative outcome. That's, that's the bad stuff. Now let's move on to the hope here. So even though the church... In its, in, in its majority, is, is as good as dead. There are some good things here. Verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there is good news 
in this church that is not doing great, Jesus acknowledges that there are some that are still faithful. There are some whose works are for real. There are some that understand that they have to be holy because God is holy. There are some that understand that because we have the hope that when Jesus appears, we will be like he is because we shall see him. They purify themselves because they know that they will be pure when Jesus comes, right? That's what John tells, um, tells his readers. He says, um, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so these believers in Sardis, they know that when Jesus comes, they will walk with him in white. They will receive a white garment. And because of that hope that they have, they keep their current garment clean. They don't say, oh, we're going to receive a new garment anyway, so let's just do whatever we want now. No. This is not cheap grace that they believe in. They realize we have been saved by grace. We have been saved by the grace of God and not by our works, not by anything that we've done, only by the grace of God. And because of that, let us do the right works. Let us perform the works that God has prepared beforehand for us. Because we will be like he is, let us begin to purify ourselves now. So notice the, the, the beauty of this promise. You already have, a, it, they haven't soiled their garments, therefore they will walk with me in white. This reminds me a little bit of Adam and Eve and how they walked in the presence of God other than the fact that Adam and Eve didn't have clothes. These people will have white garments. And I will never, uh, verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Those who are faithful to God, those who understand the gospel of grace, those who purify themselves, those are the ones that can't have the assurance that can't have the assurance that their names are in the book of life, are written there eternally. They will never be removed from the book of life. And not only that, but Jesus himself will confess the name of those people before his father and his angels. Just think about that. I, I don't know about you. I was, never, I was never acknowledged for anything. I never won any, any contest, any giveaway, any of that. But the few times in my life where I've had any public acknowledgement, it feels pretty good. It feels really good. When I was in college and, and I received an, an award, man, it was just so awesome to like have your name called publicly. Well, now imagine Jesus, your Savior, publicly acknowledging, you, acknowledging your name in front of the Father. Publicly bringing you forward and saying, this person is worthy and that that word right there worthy right it, he says 
in verse 4, they will walk with me for they are worthy. This is such an interesting word coming especially in a book where Jesus is the one who is worthy, right? He is the one who is worthy to take the seal and, I mean, to take the scroll and open the seals. He is the one who is worthy because he was the lamb who was slain, because he shed his blood for the saints, because he redeemed the people of God. Jesus is the one who is worthy, and yet Jesus himself says, I'm going to give you all of these things because you are worthy. Our worthiness comes from Jesus' worthiness. Our worthiness flows from the worthiness of Jesus. Notice how many times in Scripture we are called to, a, to worthy living and walking. In Ephesians 4.1, we are commanded to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In Philippians 1.27, we are told to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 1.10, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. Because the one who has called us is worthy, we are called to a worthy walk. We are called to walk in a manner that is worthy of him who called us, in a manner worthy of his gospel. So again, we go back to this sense in which, yes, we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, but we are saved for good works. We are saved for a lifestyle that is worthy of the one who called us. So, Titan Drive, individual believer, individual attendee today, the exam has been performed. The diagnosis has been given. The prescription is out there. What are we going to do? Are we going to continue a complacent lifestyle of saying, oh yeah, the things that I'm doing are good enough. The reputation that I have is good enough. Or are we going to take the doctor's advice? Are we going to remember the gospel? Are we going to remember the word of God? Are we going to obey his word? Are we going to repent from our sin? Are we going to walk in a manner that is worthy of Jesus, the lamb that was slain for us? My prayer is that we do. My prayer is that we walk in a manner that is worthy of him. My prayer is that we are always reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he gave his life for us. Not so that we would just do whatever the heck we wanted to do, 
He gave his life for us so that we would walk in a manner that is worthy of him, of his gospel, that we would walk in obedience, that we would not soil our garments, but rather that we would purify ourselves because we know that when he comes, we will be like him and he is pure. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this message for us today. We thank you that you are worthy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life for us. And we pray that you grant us remembrance, obedience, repentance, that we would wake up, that we would be alert. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.